Welcome to PwC IFRS Talks, your source for all things IFRS. I'm your host, Andrea Pride. In November 2021, the International Accounting Standards Board published an exposure draft on supplier finance arrangements. So with me today to tell us all about it, I'd like to welcome back Gary Berkovich, one of the partners in charge of PwC's Global Accounting Services. So welcome, Gary. Hi, Andrea. Good to be back. Gary, this exposure draft proposes amendments to IES 7 and IFRS 7 with the objective of requiring a company to disclose information that enables investors to assess the effects of the supplier finance arrangements on its liabilities and cash flows. So starting at the beginning, could you tell us what a supplier finance arrangement is? Yeah, sure. And it's uh, sometimes a little bit harder to do this without a picture, but I'll, I'll give it a bash. So it's, it's an arrangement which is generally has three parties. So you've got the purchaser or the reporting entity. So that's the one we're, we're, we're worried about here. And that's the buyer. And they buy goods or services from a supplier, just like they normally would. Um, so that's just your normal uh, purchases of goods and services. But what makes this special is you then intercede a, an intermediary in the middle. And we'll call that a, a financier, or I'll probably refer to it as a bank for the rest of this podcast. And so now there are three parties. And what will happen is the, the entity or the buyer will buy goods from the supplier normally and the goods get delivered and then they've got their, let's say, 30-day terms to pay. But then what will happen and what makes this difference is the financier or the bank will say, you know what, I will pay the supplier in 30 days and then you, as the, as the company, the buyer, can pay me in, let's say, 45 days or 60 days or 90 days and hence the name supplier financing. So what's happened there is the entity has been able to extend the, the terms that it has to pay for goods and services that it generally buys from creditors. And you, you get variations of it, um, but that's very simply what it, what it entails. Okay, so um, why do they do this? <laughs> Great question, other than, other than giving us uh, uh, accounting complexities. No, so there's probably, in my mind, at least two, two main reasons why a company might do this. I guess the one would be financial. So as I, as I described in my um, example, you can clearly see now that the the buyer or the, the entity that we're, we're interested in here has effectively um, got more flexibility on when they pay their trade payables for what is normally a small uh, finance cost. So before they had to always pay within 30 days, as a result of entering into a supplier finance arrangement, they get far more flexibility on whether or not they pay in 30 or maybe they've negotiated variable um, variable payment terms with the, the bank or the financier. So they, it, gives them, it gives them financial flexibility, which is always good as an entity and the the second one is is operational as well because in a lot of cases this can actually streamline the 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 payment process between the supplier and the buyer because generally they'll be on a shared it platform where they can both see what's been bought and 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 sold and they can agree which invoices are going to be part of the supplier um, arrangement which means they, they can access both of them which if you think about it streamlines your purchase and payment process because in most cases you have to correspond with the counterparty and agree what's been bought and what's been sold and, and, and what invoices you're paying off so it, as i said streamlines operations as well okay so this is a win-win situation so you mentioned apart from giving us accounting complexity so what is the accounting problem and why has this exposure draft been published yeah, so, and I think you, you mentioned in your tip, I think it's it's important for investors to understand the nature of um, the amount of these arrangements, because as, as the name suggests, they're, they're a type of financing. And our, our current requirements um, in IFRS or investors felt that it wasn't giving them transparency or consistency of, of how these arrangements are being entered into by companies. And obviously that reduces the usefulness of financial information. 
And actually, a request came into the IFRS Interpretations Committee uh, last year, actually from a from a user group that was actually asking for the Interpretations Committee to interpret the requirements and hopefully sort out the the issues that I just that I just mentioned. And I mean, the committee I think did a good job and clarified what it could and what the requirements currently are that need to be considered. But I think it's important for folks to remember that the, the Interpretations Committee can't actually change the accounting requirements. They can only interpret them. So they did what they could. But I think in, in reviewing the response letters to their agenda decision, the committee did note that there probably are still some gaps that they, they couldn't fix via interpreting the current requirements alone. And so they suggested that the board do something, and hence we have the, the exposure draft. Okay, so what are these gaps? Um, what's missing? And why do we think that investors and analysts, what do they need that they're not getting from the disclosures in there today? Yeah, okay. So, I mean, I'll have a go, bearing in mind, remember, we're auditors, not analysts. But I, 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 <laughs> I suspect that these are these are some of the main areas I think that it's trying to address reading reading the basis and, and, and listening to some other folks. I think there's probably four key areas. The one is that just generally they're looking for descriptions of these arrangements. So do, do you actually have material supplier finance arrangements? Uh, are they material and what are the key terms related to those? Um, that's the one requirements. The second would be just making it clear what the quantum of the supplier financing is so that you, you would enable an investor to decide how much of your liabilities are actually financing in nature. Because remember today, a lot of the supplier finance arrangements, they, they are originally, they arise as trade payables and they continue to be classified in many cases as trade payables throughout the life until they settled with the supplier or the financier. And so the second thing would just be giving more disclosure of what the nature of those trade payables is and how much of them are actually part of this financing supplier finance arrangement. The third is then liquidity risk. And as a result of the supplier finance arrangement, and I think folks will recall, you know, I generally think of liquidity risk, it's the risk that you won't have an ability to pay. And so some might ask, how is that impacted by a supplier finance arrangement? And the way I think about this is, well, if the entities agreed extended terms with, with a financier in, in the middle, and if that financier, let's say, is not a well-known bank, and it's a, you know, Gary and Andrea's fly-by-nights financiers, you know, they, there may be a risk that we go bust at some stage. Um, and if we go bust as the financiers, then the entity would need to quickly fund that financing gap because its suppliers are still expecting to be paid based on their normal invoice terms. And so that's where the liquidity risks arise. And that's why I think it's, again, important for investors to know, you know, who are these counterparties? Is there concentrations with the risks? And, and so they can assess that. And, and lastly, I'd say the fourth thing is just cash flow information. And so, you know, in other words, what information do investors need to compare different companies operating cash flows in the same way if one company uses supplier financing and another does not because in some cases it's difficult to actually see in the cash flow where the cash flows relating to the supplier financing actually have been presented and their and their quantum and i think you know having said all of that what just springs to mind is it's actually while i was saying a lot of disclosure i was saying the word disclosure quite a lot and that's important because at this stage, the exposure draft is trying to address those needs via disclosure alone. And, and, and the, the ISD made a conscious decision at this stage not to look at presentation in the balance sheet or cash flow statement or, or, or recognition in any way, because they decided at this stage, um, disclosure alone would be the most expedient way, I think, to address the information needs I've, I've just gone through. So can you tell me about these disclosures? 
Yeah, sure. So there are a number of disclosures, and again, um, a lot easier with a picture. And actually, the the exposure draft has a an illustrative example. It'll probably do a much better job than I will of of, of trying to describe this. But well, let's link I guess, it in the notes. Let, yeah, yeah, we can link it in the notes. I think that would be a great idea. So I think for, the first of all is that you know to address the the disclosure need that I mentioned, it's going to require a description of the terms and conditions of each material um, supplier finance arrangements in which the company participates. And again, I think the board chair has done a, a pretty good job of actually just describing the characteristics of a supplier finance arrangement rather than a hard definition. So hopefully capture all those types of things that, um, that investors are interested in. Secondly, there's some quantitative information that is going to be required about the financial liabilities in the balance sheet that are subject to the supplier financing. And by that, I mean, in the disclosure, you'll need to segregate out the amount that is subject to supplier financing and how much of that has been paid by the financier versus still waiting to be paid by the financier. So, so maybe it's helpful with an example. So let's assume in your trade payables of, of 1,000, 400 of that is part of a supplier finance arrangement. So that's, that's going to be in the scope of the requirements. So you'd have to say 400 of my trade payables is part of a supplier finance arrangement. And let's assume that at the balance sheet date, 200 of that has been paid by the bank and the other 200 is still waiting to be paid. You would have to further disclose that of the 400, 200 has, has already been paid by the bank and therefore I owe the bank 200, whereas the other 200 is still waiting to be paid and therefore I'm still on the hook to make that payment to the supplier if the bank goes bust. And then the other disclosure requirement is the standard is going to, or the ED is proposing that you need to disclose the range of payment dates for your financial liabilities that are subject to the supplier finance versus those that are not. Now, I think it's obvious there, so it's saying, I normally have to pay in 30 days, but this amount of liabilities that's part of the supplier finance arrangements, on average, I only have to pay in 75 days. And again, I think that just gives investors a view of, or they can have a look and try and determine how much you're financing and the cost of that financing is based on the description of the supplier finance arrangements. And I think lastly, then, you know, the ED is also proposing some amendments. I mean, all of the amendments are to IS7 and, and IFRS7 to try and get that information, but it also requires some, some updates to the reconciliation in IS7 for financing liabilities and also to, to achieve its objectives in, in IFRS7. It also amends some of, the, some of the requirements for liquidity risk. Okay, good. So this exposure draft is out there. Um, can you share what PwC's views are on this exposure draft yet? Yeah, sure. And uh, I'm not sure if our official letter will be out at the time of this podcast. So this is subject to change. But I think at this point in time, maybe broadly, I'll mention two of the things we've been we've been discussing. Well, let me start out by saying I think overall, we, we're very supportive of the of the um, amendments. I think they'll go a long way to, to making uh, the information more useful for users. I think in, in making sure that it does actually achieve the objective, I think there's two things that we probably will be will be pointing out. The one will be um, just that the the reconciliation of liabilities really only refers to financing activities. And so what that means is all of these disclosures I've just talked about, in order to get scoped into it, you need to be classifying some form of cash flow as a financing cash flow. And in some cases, in these supplier finance arrangements, the entity has trade payables. And then when it makes the final payments, it actually still says, well, I'm still buying goods or services. So I'm going to just reflect that single cash outflow as an operating cash outflow. And I think we've just got a concern that if that's the case, you might not actually, it's not clear if you'd be scoped into the requirements if that happens, when clearly you should be to be able to compare like with like. So that's one one concern I think we have or suggestion we'll have um, to maybe improve it. And I think just the, the general 
just a general statement on the cash flow presentation. I guess, as I said, we know the board didn't want to address presentation issues, but at the moment there's diversity in practice in, in how entities are classifying the cash flows related to supplier finance arrangements. Is it, an, is it a single operating cash outflow? Is it a single financing cash outflow when I pay the bank? Or should I be grossing up uh, my cash flow statement or, or, or recording two cash flows? One when the bank pays the supplier and therefore I've, I've received financing and then again when I pay that financing back. So I guess there's diversity there and I think what we'd be saying is we're not suggesting the board fixes that, but it would be good to have a disclosure requirement that that tells um, investors what the entity's judgments were around those cash flows and where those cash flows have actually been presented in the cash flow statements. Yeah, that sounds useful. Okay, so the deadline for comments is actually the 28th of March. So we've got a little bit of time before we submit a comment letter. And in the meantime, we'll link some of the things that you've been talking about, Gary, to the talking points that accompany this podcast. But thanks, Gary, for coming along back to the podcast and sharing your views with us. And in the meantime, to all our listeners, thank you again for listening. Stay safe and happy accounting. The preceding program was brought to you by PricewaterhouseCoopers LLP. This content is for general information purposes and is not a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.